The sports world keeps spinning, and the local conversation continues. Now, Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Monday evening to you, Jacksonville. It is Hacker After Dark, 1010XL, 92.5 FM with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you. Glad you are with us. It was a free agent frenzy. And we kind of felt some of that here in Jacksonville as Jawan Taylor, no longer a member of the Jacksonville Jaguars, he is set to sign a four-year, $80 million deal to be the left tackle of the Kansas City Chiefs. Huh. We will certainly get into that. But we got a lot to get into tonight. Of course, NFL free agency will be at the forefront We'll do a little March Madness as the NCAA tournament set to begin tomorrow as well. And, of course, a great players in the books with a dominating performance by Scotty Scheffler. We're going to start it off with Mark Long of the Associated Press, talking Jaguars and Jawan Taylor coming up in about 20 minutes. Also, John Shipley of Jaguar Report towards the top of the 9 o'clock hour. Let me welcome back. Dylan Denmark. Denmark, there was a, a piece of uh, the show missing Thursday and Friday. You're like the Cal Ripken Jr. of 1010XL. I think in the 11 months of Hacker After Dark, you've maybe missed a show or two. But quite frankly, I did not know what to do without you on Thursday or Friday. So uh, the fact that you're back in the fold tonight gives me a lot of peace, gives me a lot of comfort. And quite frankly, it makes me feel very warm inside. Yes, we uh, back in the saddle. Was there any FCC, F- FCC violations? No, 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 no. Okay. Salazar did a pretty good job. Anthony, a uh, young kid here, did a very good job. So appreciate his work. But certainly glad to have my guy Denmark back with me tonight on Hacker After Dark. Every night here on HAD, we do kick it off with a big deal of the night. I bet you can probably assume what tonight's big deal is. Dylan Denmark, let's do it right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. All right, this hasn't happened a whole lot recently for the Jacksonville Jaguars. We now kind of feel what it's like on the other side of it. We lost a pretty good player today to a conference rival. Jawan Taylor, 25 years old. Four years with the Jacksonville Jaguars, started every game in his NFL career, is on his way to Kansas City to protect Patrick Mahomes. He actually will be back in Jacksonville in a Chiefs uniform at some point in 2023. What does this mean for the Jaguars? What does this mean for Walker Little? What does this mean for Jawan Taylor? All very good questions. Let's begin with the Jawan Taylor part of this. Jawan Taylor got paid today. Don't begrudge him at all. Kudos to Jawan Taylor. $60 million guaranteed. Four years, $80 million total. I did both sports radio stations in Kansas City today. They both had me on Sports Radio 810 and Sports Radio 610 out in KC. And I can tell you... They're very excited about Jawan Taylor, as anybody would be, right? 25 years old, never missed a start, considered by pro football focus to be one of the best pass-blocking 
offensive tackles in the league. But everybody's excited about any free agent you sign. That's just what it is this time of year. Um, But is he going to play left tackle for the Chiefs? That's the idea. They're going to lose Orlando Brown. And they did this with Orlando Brown. Remember, Orlando Brown was a right tackle in Baltimore. They moved him to left tackle in Kansas City. And he did pretty well at left tackle in Kansas City. So they're planning on doing the same thing with Jawan Taylor. Moving him from right to left. They're paying him like a left tackle. $60 million guaranteed, four years, $80 million total. Jawan Taylor, tip of the cap to you. Good locker room guy. A Florida Gator. Went to high school in, at Coco. Then to Gainesville. Then to Jacksonville. He's been playing football in this state for a decade plus. It's going to be hard to find a bad word to say about Jawan Taylor. He's a good dude. And I wish him nothing but the best. It's unfortunate. But... When you got a team like Kansas City that's going to open the bank vault like that, the Jaguars, from what I was told, were not in the same atmosphere as Kansas City with what the offers were. Did Jacksonville want him back? Yeah, they did. But not at that number. Not at that number at all. So, Jawan Taylor's gone. Now, what do we do here in Jacksonville? Before we get there, let's go back a couple of weeks to the NFL scouting combine. This was a question posed to Jaguars general manager Trent Baalke at the time about Evan Ingram and Jawan Taylor and what their status was here in Jacksonville. You know, again, I think with Jawan and Evan, I I don't want to speak for them. Uh, They know how we feel about them, and I think we know how they feel about us. And there's a win-win in there somewhere. We just got to get to that, and the negotiations are ongoing, and there's something that, you know, they're not going to get finished today, Um, but we've got a nice window here before free agency start, and our goal is to try to close those deals uh, within that window. They are going to get Evan Ingram back, whether it's on the one-year franchise tag or they have till the middle part of July to sign him to a long-term extension. And they now have lost Jawan Taylor again. Did they want Jawan Taylor back? Of course they did. Were they hoping Jawan Taylor would come back? Of course they were hoping that. But at that number, $20 million per, 60 guaranteed, that just wasn't financially feasible to do for the Jacksonville Jaguars. So, what does this mean now moving forward? Well, we've been talking about it for the last 51 days since the Jaguars season ended, ironically enough, to Kansas City in the AFC Divisional Playoff. Is it as simple as moving Walker Little to right tackle when a healthy Cam Robinson comes back and he steps back in at left tackle? Our colleague Pete Prisco of CBS Sports, who you hear every week on the Frangie Show, had this idea earlier today of having Walker Little stay at left tackle and moving Cam Robinson to right tackle, which is an interesting idea, although you're paying Cam Robinson a lot of money. You're paying Cam Robinson left tackle money. Cam Robinson's only ever played left tackle in his time here in Jacksonville. Walker Little played mainly left tackle last year, 
played some right tackle in the Dallas game when Jawan went out. But I've talked to Leon Searcy about this. I've talked to a Dave Campo about this. The idea that you're essentially going to snap your fingers and Walker Little, who's played left tackle a majority of his college career, can just go over there and magically be as good as Jawan Taylor was, that's not feasible either. Jawan Taylor won that job at right tackle last year. There was a thought Walker Little and Jawan were in a battle. Jawan won it. So, I like Walker Little. I think once he has the opportunity, he's going to be good. But there's no doubt right now the Jaguar offense is not as good off today, or at least at 8 o'clock Eastern time, as they were at noon. You also lose Chris Manhurts today. For people that haven't seen that, Chris Manhurts signing with the Denver Broncos. So you've lost your best blocking tight end on the roster. So you're down an offensive tackle. You're down your best blocking tight end. Look, the Jaguars have nine draft picks, all right? And the Jaguars need to use those draft picks to replenish the depth on this team. But there is no doubt that you're going to have to sign a free agent or two or three. You might have to get a tackle in free agency. You might have to get a tight end, particularly a blocking tight end in free agency. You're going to have to do some things in free agency as well as the draft to replenish this roster. Arden Key, we're waiting. I think the more time that goes by, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. There were reports earlier today that Arden Key had upwards of eight teams that were interested in his services. Andrew Wingard is getting looks out there. Trey Herndon apparently will not be back. That's the word. So you're going to be down Chris Manhurts. You're down Jawan Taylor. You're down Trey Herndon. You're going to need to bring in a corner. When you cut Shaq Griffin and you lose Trey Herndon, who are your corners on this team? You got Tyson Campbell. You got Darius Williams, then what do you got? Gregory Jr., Monteric Brown? You're going to need to add somebody at the corner position. If you lose Dewey Wingard, you're going to need to add a safety. You already need to add an offensive tackle with Jawan Taylor's departure. You're going to need to add at least one more tight end now that Chris Manhurts is gone. So it's not the best start to free agency, all right? It's not the best start imaginable. But the one thing that Jaguar fans, you don't want to lose sight of. Two, well, two things. Number one, I like Jawan Taylor as a player. I like him as a person. I wish Jawan Taylor would have been back here in Jacksonville. But for those of you on social media that are making him out to be Orlando Pace and Jonathan Ogden and Walter Jones, he's not that. All right, let's not go overboard. I think he's a good player. By no means is he a great player. Is he replaceable? Yeah. He's good, but I think he's replaceable. But the one thing you need not forget, the Jaguars have already added their star this offseason. It didn't happen today. He got reinstated last week, and that's Calvin Ridley. Calvin Ridley is the free agent mega signing this offseason. Now, it just so happened to cost you a mid-round pick that potentially could cost you a second rounder if you re-sign him. But when you talk about adding people to this roster that were not here last year, you've already made your splash. And that's Calvin Ridley.
because you arguably brought in, if not the best wide receiver available on the market, the second best wide receiver available on the market, depending on how Odell Beckham returns from his ACL. And have you seen the wide receiver market today in free agency? Crickets, man. Nothing. Nada. Nothing has gone on at wide receiver. The Jaguars got the best, or at the worst, the second best wide receiver available this offseason. And they did it at the trade deadline last year. So when you say the Jaguars haven't done anything, why are we losing Jawan Taylor and Manhurts and Trey Herndon? And if you lose Arden Key and if you lose Andrew Wingard, what's going on? Well, two things. The Jaguars have salary cap issues, but they did already add one of the best offensive playmakers in the league in Calvin Ridley. And Calvin Ridley is your free agent, quote-unquote, splash in 2023. But, yeah, look, Walker Little, you have much, 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 much more significance now in a Jaguar uniform than you did this time 365 days ago. It's the cost of doing business. The Jaguars, I think, will receive a compensatory pick for the first time in 13 years. That is an amazing stat, by the way. The Jaguars have not had a comp pick, and a comp pick is what you get when one of your players signs elsewhere and produces elsewhere. The Jaguars haven't had a guy produce very much. They haven't gotten a comp pick. For example, Arizona is getting a third this year for Christian Kirk. Jaguars haven't gotten one in forever. They're finally getting one now with Jawan Taylor going to Kansas City. 641-1010 is the phone number. If you want to get involved, you are more than welcome to do so. 641-1010. There was a ton of things going on around the National Football League as well. Jimmy Garoppolo to Las Vegas. What are they going to do in the draft now? Are they still in play for a quarterback to sit behind Garoppolo for a year or two? You got Philadelphia losing not one, not two, but three starters off of their defense today. What is that going to do to the Eagles moving forward? Tremaine Edmonds of Buffalo, he's gone. He's going to Chicago. And you look in the AFC South, what's the easiest way for the Jaguars to reach the Super Bowl? You got to win the AFC South, right? You got to be guaranteed at least one home playoff game. So not only will you look at Jacksonville and what they're doing, you look at Houston, Indy, and Tennessee. Well, let me tell you what's going on in Nashville today because I've been talking to people in Nashville. They lost a starting linebacker in David Long to Miami. They lost a starting offensive lineman to Chicago in Nate Davis. That means four-fifths of their starting O-line from opening day a year ago are gone. They haven't done hardly anything in free agency. The only thing they've done today is sign Andre Dillard, who was a first-round pick that got benched in Philadelphia. Indianapolis just lost Bobby O'Karakey for the linebacker, one of their best defensive players. So it was not a good day all around the AFC South. Yeah, the Jags lost Taylor. The Titans lost two more starters. The Colts lost a defensive starter. The Texans haven't really lost anybody yet. They're just signing every veteran you can imagine. They're signing so many veteran guys. I guess they'll play for them. They'll contribute for them. Texans look like they're still in the midst of a massive, massive rebuild.
Let's squeeze a couple of phone calls in here. Again, Mark Long of the Associated Press. He is coming up in just a little bit. Let's go to my neck of the woods, to Mandarin. Let's bring in Carson here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Carson, go ahead. Yes, sir. I appreciate you having me on, Hack. Yes, sir. What's on your mind tonight? Hey, man. So, I just <clears throat> want to speak my mind on Juwan Taylor. You know, I'm uh, born and raised a Gator fan, been a diehard Jags fan my whole life, and I can honestly say I, I could care less that Juwan Taylor is, is walked. I think he had a great season last year, and I'm happy he earned a great extension. But uh, in the past, when he's been bad, he's been terrible. I mean, he was our worst offensive lineman the last two or three seasons prior to last year, Doug Peterson's arrival. So, for me, um, you know, I, I think I've seen enough from him. I don't think he's ever going to be a superstar. But uh, I also, with that being said, I, I'm fine moving on and, trying to go to the draft and trying to find someone else. I trust Trimbalke's, uh player evaluation skills. I'll take your comments off the air. Thanks, man. Hey, Carson, thank you. Yeah, that's kind of the point, right? You cannot afford to pay Jawan Taylor when you have Walker Little waiting in the wings. All right, Walker Little is coming into year three of a four-year rookie deal. He's dirt cheap for a starting offensive tackle in this league, and he's a starting caliber offensive tackle. You already paid Cam Robinson. You cannot keep everybody. You just can't. And when Kansas City offers Jawan Taylor where they offered him, fare thee well, man. Good luck. Yeah, it sucks. I hate losing Jawan Taylor. But I'm totally fine with Cam Robinson as my left tackle and Walker Little as my right tackle. That's where I'm at. At this point, you got to be okay with it because that's where you at. That's where you are at as a Jaguar fan. That's the reality of the situation. I will be fascinated, though, to see if Jawan Taylor can play left tackle in this league and how good he is at left tackle, because that is the plan for him in Kansas City. That's what I was told by both of the sports radio stations out there today that had me on. Appreciate them having me on. The first one, it was news to me because I was like, left tackle? And I started looking around. Yeah, they're expecting him to replace Orlando Brown as their left tackle, which is very, very interesting. Let's get one more in before we hit Mark Long of the AP. Let's get Dolphin Gary in here on Hacker After Dark. Gary, go ahead. Hacker, what do you think my friends have done? Jalen Ramsey, David Long, they signed Mike White as a backup QB? I think you guys have spent a lot of money. You stole Jalen Ramsey from the Rams, but good for stole you. Stole him. Absolutely stole him, Hack. Yeah, they're in the midst of a rebuild. The Rams are having a fire Hack, sale. Hack, how do you like this? Jalen Ramsey, the X-Men, and Javon Holland in the secondary. Oh, How's it's that good. For you? No, it's good. Dolphin Gary, appreciate the phone call. There's a guy that's fired up, and he should be. You know where Dolphin Gary is right now? He's where you Jaguar fans, most of you were last year. It was on this day last year. Brandon Sheriff, Foye Aluikin, Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, Evan Ingram, Foley Fadakasi. Remember that? It was every 30 minutes. Jaguars are signing this guy and that guy and this guy and that guy. You can't do that every year. That's why the Jaguars are where they are right now, and I'm fine with it. I think the Jaguars are in good shape. Your problem is, though, and this is what you got to do in the draft, last year when Cam Robinson got hurt, you had Walker Little. You were fine. Now that option's gone. If either Cam or Walker Little get hurt, now you potentially have problems. That's why you need to sign somebody in free agency or you need to draft somebody reasonably high to be that swing, quote-unquote swing, 
tackle that can play either the left or the right side. Mark Long of the Associated Press. You'll be very interested in his thoughts on Jawan Taylor. We'll talk Jawan. We'll talk the rest of the Jaguars, Arden Key as well. Even a little Anthony Richardson talk with Mark Long of the Associated Press on a Monday night edition of Hacker After Dark with Dylan Denmark. The Hacker Ryan Green with you on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. And as always, Jacksonville, we're glad you're with us. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Now. Another interview on the Farrah and Farrah phone line. Brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. Free agency in the National Football League underway today. The Jaguars have already lost a pretty important piece. We'll get to that in a moment. What does it mean moving forward? And we got to talk about everything else that's transpired with the Jacksonville Jaguars over the last couple of weeks. With that, let me bring in my friend Mark Long of the Associated Press. He's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Mark, how we doing, man? Hey, I'm doing well, Hacker. How are you? Mark, we're good. Thank you for the time. I know it's a busy day for all of us, and we'll begin with Jawan Taylor, no longer a Jacksonville Jaguar, thanks to a four-year, $80 million deal with the Kansas City Chiefs to apparently, Mark, play left tackle for Andy Reid there in Kansas City. What's your thought on that whole situation? Yeah, I think the the left tackle part of it is ludicrous. I think, uh, I mean, Juwan Taylor's a guy, they tried to get him to play left tackle in college, and, you know, it was it was kind of a debacle. It, it was, you know, it was very clear that it wasn't going to happen, and you go and you look at his career here, never once did he take very many snaps, if at all, at left tackle. Even last year, if if he got beat out last year by Walker Little, Juwan Taylor would have been the backup right tackle, and that's it. Walker Little would have been the swing tackle. He would have been the starting right tackle, but if anything had happened to Cam Robinson, Walker Little would have sw- switched over to left tackle, and, and Juwan Taylor would have slid in at right tackle. That was the plan. So never in any of his four years did it ever even, you know, broach, did the Jags even broach the thought of him playing left tackle. There were people in the building who uh, just knew it wasn't, it wasn't the spot for him. So, and people in Gainesville, you talk to people in Gainesville and they're like, it didn't work. They tried it. So that part's a little surprising to me. I mean, you know, you're not going to, I'm certainly not going to question Andy Reid. I mean, the guy's proven, coach in this league and knows what he's doing maybe he sees something that i don't see or that uh, some other people in this league haven't seen but that's the part that's crazy that he's going to play left tackle uh i'll believe it when i see it but four for 80 man that's that's guys getting paid i think there were people in this market people in the media fans who thought some of these guys were going to take less money hometown discounts to stick around Jacksonville clearly you know that's people who haven't been covering the league or been around the league long enough it, it doesn't happen these guys all go for the money uh maybe if you thought Jacksonville was on the verge of of winning a championship you know if they were maybe one game short last year of the Super Bowl may maybe there's some guys here or there maybe take less to try to run it back but that wasn't the case this was let's let's be honest about what this team was it was an eight and nine football team 
nine and eight football team that uh, finished 10 and nine, you know, with one and one in the playoffs. So, you know, a good year, no doubt. AFC, AFC South champs, no doubt. Probably going to be AFC Child South champs again, certainly the favorite. But let's not pretend like this is a uh, a Super Bowl favorite team. Are they in the mix? Sure. Will they? Will they should they be a playoff team? Absolutely. But I, I'm not, I, you can't look at what they what else is going on in the AFC. You look at what you know what Kansas City's doing, what Buffalo's doing, what the Miami Dolphins are doing, the Cincinnati Bengals. I mean, there's a ton. It's gonna it's gonna be stacked. I mean, if the Raiders get I mean, the Raiders did get Jimmy G. All of a sudden, the Raiders are, you know, you got to think that they're going to be in the mix. Uh, if, Green, if Aaron Rodgers ends up with the Jets, I mean, my goodness. So, uh, you know, good move for Juwan Taylor. I think, you know, he's good, good player, not a great player, very good player. We watched him struggle for three years, and then he really kind of figured it out last year under a new new offensive line coach. Uh, better person probably than, than he is a player, and uh, I'm happy for him that he got paid. But I, I'm not sure he's going to be terribly missed in Jacksonville. Mark Long of the Associated Press here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Mark, to that point, the loss of Jawan Taylor, I guess conventional thinking is Walker Little goes to the right tackle spot, Cam Robinson back of, uh, off of injury to the left tackle spot. Although I've seen some, some people today, including our colleague Pete Prisco, throw out the idea that Walker should stay at left tackle and have Cam Robinson replace Jawan Taylor at right tackle. What's your thought on how the Jaguars are going to handle that now? Yeah, I, I don't see that happening. I mean, you know, you certainly could swap those guys in the offseason here and, and maybe cross-train them and see what happens. But my my belief is that they'll let Cam – they paid Cam Robinson to be a left tackle, right? He got left tackle tag money. It's not offensive tackle tag money. It's left tackle tag money. He got tagged as a left tackle. He got paid as a left tackle. Uh, my guess is he's going to play left tackle. And then not to say Walker Little can't become the left tackle, but I think this year he'll be the right tackle, and that's how they'll roll. And then, you know, when you look at you look at Cam's deal, it really – I think it could be a, I think it could be a two-year deal. I don't really have it in front of me. But I think it could be a two-year deal last year and this year, and then maybe you get out of that thing in 2024. And so there's so there's no one, I wouldn't think. Uh, there's some people who obviously believe that uh, Walker Little still could be the future left tackle for the Jacksonville Jaguars, and I wouldn't put that uh, out of the realm of possibility. Mark, do we know about Cam Robinson's recovery? It was about three months ago he got hurt against Dallas I haven't heard a whole lot about it other than it's on schedule I guess I don't know what that really means but have you heard anything about how he's doing yeah no I've heard I've, I've had ca ca caught up with some people and yeah supposedly ahead of schedule actually so which is good and that's kind of what you hear right you hear that uh that you know these guys are always ahead of schedule so you know it's one step back away but you know, I, I looked, I pulled up his contract and it is indeed, you could get out of this in 2024. You would eat 5 million in dead money to save almost 18 million. So you could get out of Cam Robinson next year. So Juwan, you could do one year with post Juwan with Cam at left tackle, Walker a little at right tackle. And then if you want to move on from Cam Robinson, who would be 28, maybe 29 years old going on 30, you would, you know, then all of a sudden take, um, uh, 
take Walker Little and move him over to the left side, which, you know, to me makes a lot of sense when you're looking at what this team has coming down the road. If you're going to have to re-sign Calvin Ridley, if you're going to have to re-sign Trevor Lawrence at some point, uh, obviously you got to start making plans for for those kind of big-time uh, big moves. Mark Long of the Associated Press here with us on 1010XL. Mark, as far as things that have happened since the last time you and I talked, Evan Ingram franchised. He has not signed a long-term deal yet. So either whether it's on the one-year franchise deal or if they get a long-term deal by mid-July, the bottom line is he's going to be in a Jaguar uniform in 2023, which obviously appears to be their top priority. Yeah, and he always was. You talk to anybody in the building and they said, you know, would we love to have Ingram and Juwan? Sure, but they all all said to a man that Evan Ingram was number one priority to get to get a deal done, to get him not only cap, not only tagged, but to get a long term deal done. And I still think that happens. And the reason I think it happens is uh, because he's eleven point three four five million dollars. So eleven point three million, you can get that number down by signing him to a long term deal. And even if it's a you know Cam Robinson type three year deal, you can get that cap number down for 2023, and then that gives you frees you up a little more space to go do something else. And they've they've got to do some something else, right? They cannot walk in with this team at its current setup along with a draft class and feel good. They've got to do something at tight end. They got to do something you know behind Everingham. They got to do something at offensive tackle to have a swing tackle behind Walker Little and Cam Rouse. they got to have do something on that defensive line, especially if they're going to lose Arden Key. And you know Dwayne's, or Dwan Smoot's not going to be ready for till probably you know August at best-case scenario, but probably more like September. So there's some holes on this team. Cornerback, you, 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 know, you cut Shaq Griffin, and you feel good about your two starters. Well, you, you need three guys. Trey Herndon's not on this team. So you you got to have a third there. So when you look at what they need, I don't know that you want to roll with all those guys as rookies. And I, I get it. You're going to fill a lot of holes with the draft. You got nine picks, and you're going to probably use your first three picks on an offensive lineman, a defensive lineman, and uh, and probably a tight end. Though you can make you can make a case for cornerback, right? Those probably those three: offensive line, defensive line, cornerback throw in tight end. Those are your first four picks right there in some semblance of some order, but that's still, you know, you haven't added depth. You haven't replaced Dewey Wingard. If, if you, if you don't able, if you're not able to re-sign him, then now you're down a safety there. So there's a lot of holes on this team. They got a, a number of, and they just don't have the money right now. They're pretty strapped. So redoing Evan Ingram would certainly free up a little money to uh, add some pieces. Final moments here with Mark Long of the Associated Press. You mentioned Calvin Ridley earlier. Boy, the reaction from Doug Peterson and Trent Baalke when Ridley arrived to the stadium last week, I think, told the entire story. It appears everybody in that building, Mark, very, very excited to have Ridley in the fold. Yeah, and why not? Not only, you know, has the guy been a, is a proven receiver in this league. I mean, this is Atlanta Falcons cut Julio Jones, moved on from Julio Jones. And I'm not saying Julio was washed up because I don't know that he was. He's still fairly productive player in Tennessee and then even in Tampa Bay to some degree. But this is a guy they looked at in Atlanta. Is, this is our guy who is we can cut Julio Jones and move on from or trade him, whatever they did. I think they traded him and move on from him. He's that good. So 
the Jags look at this guy, they think they got a steal. They hope that it's more than a one-year deal that, you know, he's in the final year's contract. So it's a, it's really a prove it deal for Ridley, but they see, they also feel like they got a guy who's hungry, hungry to come back. And obviously you, anybody who read that piece in the players tribune, he is clearly a guy who's, you know, very remorseful for what happened, how it went down. He had some issues that he dealt with was going through at that time. And in his mind, it was a pretty innocent bet and he got punished pretty heavily for it, but he's hungry. And he, you know, I think the, the end of that thing, the end of that story where he basically vowed to be a 1400 yard receiver. It's like, Holy cow. If you have Evan Ingram, Christian Kirk, Zay Jones, and now you add Ridley ETN, you add those guys. I don't know where the yards going to go, but if he's a 1400 yard receiver, look out. Cause that tells me that Trevor Lawrence is going to throw for 5,000 yards. And this team's going to be darn near unstoppable on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah. So that's the kind of player he can be. I think what it does also is gives you a little bit more of a, a burner on the outside and it frees Christian Kirk to do what he does best, which is he's a, he's just a machine in the slot. When you look at some of his best games last year, it was when he was working in, in and around that slot. He did not have his best as an outside receiver. He was best in the slot. So this is what that does. Frees Calvin Ridley up to, I mean, it frees Christian Kirk up to really be a slot receiver and Ridley's going to give him a little bit more explosive deep threat on the outside, which, you know, we all know Trevor Lawrence can throw that ball. Mark, as we begin to wrap up, I want to end with Anthony Richardson with you because I think you'd have a pretty unique perspective on him. But final Jaguar-related topic, we've got about 90 seconds to go. Uh, at the time you and I are talking, again, I'm getting refreshed constantly, nothing has happened with Arden Key yet. The fact that Jawan Taylor is gone, does that add any more pressure on Jacksonville to get something done with Arden Key? I think, I mean, a lot of it's going to depend on what Arden Key wants, right? If Arden, Arden Key did played last year on a, on a pretty mild deal, uh, you know, what is he going to, what does he want? Is the money going to be right? Because the reality is Jacksonville just doesn't have a ton of money to be thrown around. Now, can you get creative? Sure. You can give a guy a big signing bonus that gets spread out over two or three years and really make that first-year number pretty reasonable. But we don't know what Arden Key's hearing from other teams. It's not this really super deep uh, pass rusher dra or uh, free agency. That's why we've seen, we've seen more offensive linemen already get big deals than defensive linemen, pass rushers. So Arden Key may be a pretty hot commodity out there in the pass rush field. So, you know, so there's, there are plenty of teams that have money, have big money to spend. Arden key, maybe, maybe, maybe that, that guy who, uh, who gets paid elsewhere and, and probably goes for the money. Mark, and it's hard to argue. It's hard to blame him. Right. It Not would only be. did he play last year, but you know, he's, he hasn't had that huge payday that some other guys have gotten. Yeah. The one year prove it deal here in Jacksonville. And he certainly proved that he was worth, what the Jaguars gave him, and he's probably going to cash that in to a pretty significant payday, whether later on this evening, tomorrow, I would think, by the latest, the end of the week. All right, Mark, final question. Um, I've had a lot of college guys on that have an opinion of Anthony Richardson. I've had a lot of NFL guys on that have a completely different opinion of Anthony Richardson. You live in Gainesville, and, brother, you are right in the middle because you cover the college game on Saturday and you cover the NFL game on Sunday. Why is there such a disconnect between the opinion of what Anthony Richardson is going to do in the National Football League? 
Because he didn't do it in college. That's the real, I think that's the number one. You look at him and he, and he did, he did some great things in college. Let's not pretend like he didn't, but most everything he did was from an athleticism standpoint. And let's not, you know, the kid can throw the football. He was as good a deep ball passer as we've probably seen at the university of Florida in last year. And, but you know, from an accuracy, consistency, decision-making, they're left a lot to be desired. And anybody who knows the NFL knows that accuracy and consistency and decision-making are the first, the top three things you need. You need those over athleticism. Athleticism can help and it certainly can get you to a certain point. But really, if you're going to be a successful quarterback in the NFL, you got to have them all. And you can't be a statue back there anymore. I mean, you certainly got away with that back in the day, Dan Marino, but you don't get away with that anymore. You don't have to be Lamar Jackson, uh, but you better be able to throw the ball and throw it with some consistency. And that's the question mark about Anthony Richardson, right? And the pro, the combine was built for Anthony Richardson. This is a guy who's a physical specimen. Anybody who stood next to him knows that. And so, you know, watched him play, you know that. So he went going up there and shining and really showing out in all those areas. Not really that surprising. He's going to be a top pick. I, I wouldn't be stunned if he's top five. Certainly, I'd, it's, I'd be stunned if he goes beyond, you know, if he falls beyond, what, maybe eight? Eight at Atlanta? I mean, if, if he's sitting there at eight, somebody would I would think somebody would trade up and get him. But I also wouldn't be stock, sh- shocked if he's the fourth quarterback off the board behind Stroud and Levis, which, you know, might be, and Bryce Young, which might be uh, a little bit of surprising to some people, but uh, I do think Will Levis is a guy who's rising on a lot of boards. Mark Long of the Associated Press does a great job covering the Florida Gators and the Jacksonville Jaguars, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Mark, again, I know you're busy with spring ball, free agency, everything going on. Thank you for taking time out. We'll talk again soon, my friend. Sounds good. Thanks, Hacker. This is Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. All right, so a couple of things that have transpired this evening when it comes to NFL free agency. We're waiting on Arden Key, right? That's kind of the big one that we're still waiting on. Maybe Andrew Wingard as well, Dewan Smoot. The Jaguars No, Evan Ingram's going to be back. They lost Jawan Taylor today. They lost Chris Manhurts today. When I say lost, they really did lose Jawan Taylor. Did they lose Chris Manhurts? I don't know. I don't know how big a priority Chris Manhurts was. Trey Herndon also appears he's not going to be back. But Arden Key is somebody that I know the fan base wants back. I want him back. And I don't know if this means anything, but I'll throw it out there to you. Tonight... Quick, NFL fans in Jacksonville, Florida, give me some information on Zach Allen. I'll wait. Who? Zach Allen. No idea. Four years at the Arizona Cardinals. Last year, five and a half sacks, 47 tackles. Those sound like Arden Key numbers, right? In fact, Denmark, do a compare of Zach Allen stats to Arden Key stats. And let's see where we fall in 2022. Zach Allen versus Arden Key. The reason I bring up Zach Allen is he is signing tonight or agreeing to terms 
on a three-year, $45.7 million contract with the Denver Broncos. Zach Allen's getting $15 million per with five and a half sacks last year and 47 tackles. All right, I got those stats ready for you. Yeah, what do you got? From just 2022, Arden Key had four and a half sacks. Uh, this guy, Zach Allen, that apparently nobody on the face of the earth has heard of, has had five and a half last year. All right, so Zach Allen, one more sack. What about the tackle numbers? Uh, tackles, total. Allen got 47. Arden Key, let me look through here. He had 16 solo, 27 total. All right, so Zach Allen got basically a tackle more a game. They're the same guy. Zach Allen, five and a half sacks. Arden Key, four and a half sacks. Zach Allen, 47 tackles. Arden Key, 26 tackles. They're the same guy. Zach Allen just got $15 million per. So we'll see with Arden Key, but a number like that, that's not going to happen. The Jaguars are not going to pay that for Arden Key. So we'll wait and see what ultimately does happen there. Uh, other things that happened today, Calais Campbell released in Baltimore. Now, what does that mean for the Jaguars? Could Jacksonville be in play? One thing you got to remember, because I saw that today and immediately everybody said, bring him home, bring him home. Well, for starters, he wouldn't be coming home. He spent like eight years in Arizona. That's probably home. He only spent three years here in Jacksonville, but I get the point, right? He's the mayor of Saxonville. But Doug Peterson, Trent Balky, Mike Caldwell, all of the guys that are here now were not here while Calais Campbell was here. That was a different regime. That was a different time. So what they liked about Calais Campbell in 17, 18, and 19 – may not apply in 2023. Having said that, I'd love to see Calais Campbell in a Jaguar uniform. I think he'd help them. Probably wouldn't cost very much at his age. He certainly loves the city. But the one thing that, I, that struck me today when he got released and when people were bringing up the team of Jacksonville would be a good landing spot for him was, quote, to chase a ring. Are you kidding me? Is that where we've come in six months? We go from being just dog meat, one of the worst teams in football, four and eight at Thanksgiving, which was less than four months ago, to now this is a place that veterans want to go to, quote, chase a ring. It's pretty high praise, man. I like it. Don't get me wrong. I like it. But that is quite the 180 from where the Jaguars were back on Thanksgiving. Other big signings today, boy, the Atlanta Falcons were busy, including Jesse Bates, the Pro Bowl safety from Cincinnati. He goes to Atlanta. Carolina was very busy today. Von Bell, starting safety in Cincinnati, now a Carolina Panther. Chicago, very busy today. Nate Davis, offensive line, Tennessee, to the Bears. Tremaine Edmonds, the player, uh, the good linebacker from Buffalo to the Bears. Bears had money to spend, and they spent it. Falcons, money to spend, and they spent it. Maybe the surprise of the day was San Francisco throwing huge money at Javon Hargrave of Philadelphia. 
In fact, Philadelphia lost three defensive starters. They lost Epps at safety, Hargrave on the D-line, and Edwards at linebacker today. I don't care how much depth you have. That's going to affect anybody. Philadelphia's now got to replace not one, not two, but three big parts of that defense that have now left today in free agency. Jimmy Garoppolo, another big one, too, to the Las Vegas Raiders. But according to reports out tonight, that almost didn't happen. Reportedly, the Houston Texans and the Las Vegas Raiders were both in communication with Chicago late last week to try to get up to that number one pick. As we know, Carolina ultimately did get that number one pick, but Chicago reportedly was also actively talking with the Raiders and the Texans up until the time they made the deal there with the Carolina Panthers. Again, Jawan Taylor to the Kansas City Chiefs, Chris Manhurts to the Denver Broncos. Anything else breaks in the next hour while we're on the air, we'll let you know. Certainly, we would expect some more things to happen tomorrow, day two of NFL free agency. Coming up next, my friend John Shipley of Jaguar Report, part of Sports Illustrated. Let's talk Jawan Taylor's departure, what it means. Let's talk about the future of Arden Key, the future of some of the other unsigned free agents, and when will Jacksonville bring in a free agent or two? That's on the horizon. John Shipley, Jaguar Report, next on a Monday night edition of Hacker After Dark. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Now. Hello. Another great guest on the Farrah and Farrah phone line. Brought to you by the accident attorneys at Farrah and Farrah. Back here on 1010XL at 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. Free agent frenzy is what they called it, and it certainly was that today. There are hundreds of millions of dollars going to player after player after player in the National Football League. We know all about that here in Jacksonville from a year ago. It's been very quiet this year, as was expected here in Duval County. Let's talk about all of it with John Shipley of Jaguar Report, always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. John, how you doing, man? Yeah, doing good, my friend. How you doing? John, we're good. Clearly the biggest piece of news today, Jawan Taylor, no longer a Jacksonville Jaguar, a four-year, $80 million, 60 of which is guaranteed, million deal to Kansas City to apparently be their left tackle. John, what's your thought on that? Yeah, no, I think, you know, for Kansas City, I honestly think it's smart. You know, Jawan Taylor has never obviously played left tackle with the Jaguars. He had 68 career starts, you know, every single snap at right tackle. Even in college, you know, he was right tackle. But, I mean, just in terms of the tools that it takes to play left tackle, I mean, he has all the athletic traits. But the Jaguars are obviously never going to pay Jawan Taylor $20 million per year. Not when they have Cam Robinson and his deal still in the books. Not when they have Walker Little. You know, the, the Jaguars obviously wanted Juwan Taylor back, and I think they wanted, you know, maybe, you know, for his side to see that, hey, you know, this is a great spot for you. You're from Florida. You like this team. You like this locker room. But at the end of the day, you know, like what everybody in the NFL seemed to think at Indianapolis, you know, it was always likely that he was going to, you know, take the payday over that. And it's good that he did. So it's a good deal for Juwan. But it, I, honestly, it's kind of expected for the Jaguars. And 
I think if you want to find one lone positive, it's that they should net, you know, a third round compensatory pick for it next year, which would, you know, end their 13 years without one. Yeah, 13 years without a comp pick. That is pretty crazy and pretty sad uh, all at the same time. Quickly, I want to focus on what this means for the Jaguars, but as far as the left tackle thing, uh, how will Jawan Taylor fare at left tackle, and why do you think Jacksonville never never tried to use him there? Yeah, no, I think, you know, the Jaguars, they obviously had Cam Robinson when they had first drafted Jawan, but I mean, you, you remember as well as I do, even in 2019 when Cam wasn't ready for week one, you know, they still went with we're interested in over Juwan at left tackle. I think it was just, you know, the the first regime that drafted him, you know, Doug Marone regime, they were pretty rigid and, you know, you're a right tackle, you're a left tackle. They wanted Juwan to obviously get his reps there because they saw Cam as the long-term left tackle. And then, you know, as the years went on, Walker Little obviously came into play and he made more sense as a pure swing tackle than Juwan did. So it, it was mostly a matter of circumstance, but it is interesting to note that, you know, Cam Robinson's gone down multiple times and, the Jaguars had never replaced him with Jawan Taylor, which kind of goes against the conventional thinking of, you know, when your left tackle goes down, you put your next best tackle there. John Shipley of Jaguar Report here with us on 1010XL. All right, so Walker Little, it appears, is going to be your right tackle, assuming Cam Robinson is healthy. He'll go back to the left side. you got to find a guy now to play that swing tackle spot. You essentially have to replace Walker Little, even though he's going to be on the roster with another swing tackle. Let's start from the Walker Little right tackle point of this first. Is it that simple? Walker's your right, Cam's your left, here we go. I, I'm i not sure if it's that simple. I do think the Jaguars, they obviously have options, you know. they The NFL draft's coming up. They very well could take, you know, maybe say a right tackle or a swing tackle there that they potentially like a right tackle more. You know, Doug Peterson, you know, raved about Walker Little's versatility and the value that he now brings to the roster, you know, saying he can play left tackle, he can play right tackle, he thinks he can play inside. So I really think, you know, until we see the draft come and go and we see what the Jaguars kind of rolling into the early stages of their offseason workouts with, I, I, I don't think it's as clear as Walker Little left ta- right tackle, Cam Robinson left tackle. I mean, for one, you still obviously have to see Cam Robinson return from his knee injury last year, but I, I think at the end of the day, the Jaguars have options, and I, I think that they're going to explore them. I, at the very least, I think Walker Little will start next year. It's just a wet position that's you know to be determined. What are we hearing about Cam Robinson? He left in the Dallas game, which I think was, what was that, the first or second Sunday in December, so you're talking about three months since the injury. Uh, have you been told anything about his recovery to this point? No, yeah, there's not much out there really about Cam Robinson's recovery and tie-in table other than I don't think it'd be a big surprise if he missed, you know, the off-season workouts and et cetera. So maybe the Jaguars do roll into, you know, say April and May with Walker Little taking some reps on left tackle with Cam Robinson potentially getting back, you know, closer to training camp. So there's not a lot out there other than, you know, it's obviously still kind of a process with Cam. And, you know, that's honestly heading into, you know, the late stages of the off-season. That's going to be one of the bigger storylines with the team. You know, at the time you and I are talking, Jawan Taylor is the only guy that has officially agreed to terms. Again, the signings are not official until Wednesday at 4 o'clock, although reports out that Trey Herndon has most likely played his final game in Jacksonville. And Trey Herndon, apparently, John, getting pretty good attention from a few teams around the league. Yeah, no, Trey Herndon is somebody who, you know, teams around the league have – you know, always liked and respected. I mean, the three different Jaguars coaching staffs, you know, 
called like the Trey Herndon versatility that he brings. I think the Jaguars are probably going to, you know, wanting to go with a more man coverage based scheme. You know, they want maybe more speed than Trey Herndon, you know, potentially has to offer. But for zone defenses and teams that need guys who can play inside outside, you know, he could be a guy who could potentially, you know, find a nice little contract. You and I have not talked since Evan Ingram was franchised. Evan Ingram will be back in a Jaguar uniform, which is obviously an enormous deal for this offense. How big is it, though, John? I mean, was that vital the Jaguars were able to do that and get him back? Yeah, no, absolutely. I I, I think the Jaguars showed that when – yeah, obviously the franchise tag for a tight end was cheaper than for a right tackle, but the Jaguars showed that they were more willing to lose to Juan Taylor than Evan Ingram. I think, you know, that their scheme and that quarterback can – you know, potentially make the offensive line look better. But they, they want Trevor Lawrence to have, you know, most of the same guys back next year. They want to set him up for success. And there's no better way to do that than, you know, bringing back one of his favorite pass catchers and teammates from last year. So it, it was funny, you know, talking to people at the Combine in Indianapolis. Everybody was like, yeah, he's not officially back with Jacksonville yet, but we know he's not going to be a free agent. We're not even really wasting our time with considering the idea of signing him. Yeah, look, the Jaguars made that very clear that they wanted Evan Ingram back, and they were able to do that. Do you think it's a one-year franchise deal, or do you think something long-term can be worked out by mid-July? I think that, you know, that's really a tough one because you're going to see even more tight ends, you know, potentially get paid over the next couple weeks and months. Josh Oliver obviously just raised the market a little bit. TJ Hawkinson is entering the last year of his deal. Potentially, if he gets one before Evan Ingram, that could complicate things, but I think the Jaguars want it to be a long-term thing. And I think uh, so does, you know, obviously Evan Ingram, nobody wants to play on a one-year deal. So I I think when there's interest on both sides, it's a possibility, but I don't think the Jaguars would lose any sleep either. If they had Ingram on a one-year deal, I I don't think it's seen as a must happen, whether as somebody, something they, you know, kind of prefer to happen. Final moments with John Shipley of Jaguar report. He's with us here on 1010 XL in Jacksonville. Calvin Ridley is a Jacksonville Jaguar. You saw the reaction from his teammates, including Trevor Lawrence, uh, when he made his arrival at the stadium last week. NFL acted quickly on that one, John. It was less than three weeks since he applied for reinstatement that he was officially reinstated. And I would think that uh, based on Doug Peterson and Trent Baalke's reaction when Ridley pulled up to the stadium last week, a lot of excitement in that building for Calvin Ridley. Absolutely. You know, the Jaguars were, you know, kind of like everybody else. They were in wait and see mode, you know, kind of staying pat to see when Calvin would officially be reinstated. And I I think just seeing the reaction the Jaguars had when they met him kind of shows you, you know, how they're feeling internally. I mean, this is a guy who, when he's, when he's truly healthy and on his game has potential to be, you know, a top 10 receiver in the NFL an alpha type of receiver, something they haven't had in some time. And, you know, if, obviously there's more hurdles, you know, for them to overcome just in terms of getting him acclimated with the scheme and Trevor Lawrence and him playing his first game in a couple of years. But all indications from his visit and, in, you know, with the coaching staff and the front office and his first day as a Jaguar is that it was a, you know, tremendous success that he left a great impression on everybody involved. And there's definitely a feeling that, yeah, it's something I think the Jaguars did well last year was they targeted guys with chips on their shoulders, Evan Ingram being one of them. You know, Ingram was motivated to have a big year after what happened in New York, and Ridley's another case. I think he's truly you know, motivated to have a big year after how the last couple of years have went. John, we knew the Jaguars would not be as active as they were last year, but 
there's been very little talk of anything about outside free agents that the Jaguars are even looking at. Now, we're early, right? We're hours into this thing. Would you expect by tomorrow, Wednesday, maybe later in the week, the Jaguars will make a signing or two outside the building? Yeah, I think probably by you know tomorrow, Wednesday. I, I think the Jaguars absolutely – You know, anybody who thinks the Jaguars have just punted on this free agency class and they have no interest in adding anybody to the roster, I mean, that's – that's just not true. It's not feasible. That obviously doesn't mean they're out here, you know, signing the Javon Hargraves and the Juwan Taylor type contracts that you're going to see today. But they're still looking for guys. So it, it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, you'll flip me see the next couple of days, uh, you know, particularly a, particularly a defensive piece added. And finally, I guess the one we're waiting on now is Arden Key. At the time you and I are talking, nothing has happened with Arden Key. There was a report out this morning that as many as eight teams were interested in Arden Key. The longer this goes, I don't know, is that better for the Jaguar chances? You lose Jawan Taylor, it's one thing. I get the vibe, though, John, and tell me if I'm wrong. You lose Taylor and you lose Key, that might upset the fan base a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you can stomach losing Jawan Taylor. You know, obviously it's something nobody wanted, but you still have options. But if you lose both him and Key, who was you know their most efficient pass rusher last year you know one of their most important death pieces you know well well liked in the locker room etc that would obviously draw the ear some people but you know Arden key is going to have a big market and he's another guy who you know kind of like juan he's gonna have to decide you know do you want to stay with the place that you like and you're familiar with potentially for a few less million dollars per year or do you want to you know really chase the bag and Arden Key, honestly, you know, after he signed one-year deals and back-to-back off-seasons, bet on himself and turned it into, you know, never missed a single game, had two back-to-back career seasons. If anybody has at least earned the right to kind of test the market and weigh his options, it's a guy like Arden Key. He's really rejuvenated his career. John, final question. Um, I'm watching Tennessee today, and they have the ninth most salary cap money in the league and at the time you and I are talking, they've done nothing. And there was thought they would upgrade the offensive line. They've done nothing there. In fact, they just lost Nate Davis, one of their starting guards, to Chicago. Uh, you know, with Houston, with a rookie head coach and probably our first-year head coach and probably a rookie quarterback, same thing in Indianapolis. I'm paying a lot of attention to Tennessee. It looks like a mess up there in Nashville. What's your thought on that? Yeah, no, I, I think the Titans are absolutely, you know, having to kind of take the sledgehammer to the really foundation, which is kind of shocking because for years they've kind of been the team that, you know, wasn't really the picture of instability in the AFC South. But I, I think especially after last year, you know, they, their window has, at least in my opinion, shut. I, whether they keep Derrick Henry or not, you know, Henry is obviously still a great player. I think that the times of window has kind of been shut. And now they're either, you know, going to be kind of treading water, they're going to be rebuilding, whatever phase they're in. I don't think they're a team for people to really worry about. John, give yourself a little bit of love at JaguarReport.com. I know you got stuff coming out constantly on social media. What can the good folks here in Jacksonville expect when they head on over to the website? Yeah, no, you'll see more, you know, obviously on what I'm hearing from Jaguars free agency, you know, after the first day. Obviously, my thoughts on the Juwan Taylor deal, what the Jaguars options are moving forward, and some guys who I think, you know, make a lot of sense at number 24 overall. Now that the Juwan Taylor saga is, you know, over, so to speak. John Shipley does a terrific job covering the Jacksonville Jaguars, and he's always kind enough to join us here on 1010XL.com. 1010XL, you can check out his website, 
Jaguar report. John, as always, my friend, thank you for the time. We'll talk again soon. Hey, thank you, my friend. I appreciate it. Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Oh, the memories with this song. Very good memories with Paradise City, as a matter of fact, back in the day. Karaoke nights in the Mandarin area. All right, so back into the NFL. By the way, we are going to talk a little March Madness. There was a bracket that was released yesterday, the field of 68. By this time tomorrow, one team will already be eliminated. There are two games in Dayton tomorrow, two games on Wednesday, and then the field of 64 begins Thursday at noon. So Mark Wise, my friend of the ESPN family of networks, he's actually going to be on the call for the Florida-UCF-NIT game on Wednesday night. We're going to uh, talk about that and talk a little March Madness with Mark Wise coming up in about 10 minutes. For those of you that don't know, which I assume is a majority of you listening right now, I was not always on radio. I've had three jobs in my life. Two days I spent cleaning suntanning beds. I thought it would be a good way to meet girls. It turned out not to be a good way to meet girls. I made $41 at that job and resigned two days later because it was one of the grossest things I've ever done. I then worked 18 months at the movie theater on Phillips Highway. And then for the last 20, almost 21 years, I've been on sports radio in some capacity. So three jobs in my 39 years plus on planet Earth. And the reason I bring that up is on Saturday, I went to the movies. Back to the building that I worked at for 18 months there on Phillips Highway. Went to go see Scream. You know, horror movie. It was good. I enjoyed it. I won't give away spoilers, but two thumbs up. If you're a fan of the franchise, I think you'll like the film. I uh, I liked it. But that was not the story. The story was what the movie-going experience has turned into. Now, again, I worked at this building for 18 months. Granted, it was 20 years ago, which is a long time. But I've gone to the movies plenty of times in the last two decades. But I was not quite prepared for the experience I was going to have on Saturday. And this is not just this theater. This is apparently all theaters. On my ticket for Scream on Saturday, it said 4XD. Now, I had no idea what that meant, right? 4XD. I know what 3D is, right? It's where you wear the glasses. I got that. And I'm not hip. I'm not a cool hip guy like Denmark in there. So I have no idea what 4XD meant. So I take my seat, which, by the way, you got to order seats online now, and you got to pick out the exact seat. Can't Based forget on, the fee. Yeah, the diagram that, that they give you of the theater. And just let me go to the box office and get a damn ticket. But th- that's another story. So I did all that, or my wife did all that for me. So I go to the theater, and I'm sitting there, and I'm watching the previews before Scream comes on in a 4XD theater. Again, no idea what that meant. And as I'm watching a preview, all of a sudden, ladies and gentlemen – my chair and the row I was sitting in started shaking viciously. There were lights going off in the theater, and there was wind blowing in my face. 
Were you scared? I, I, I had no idea what was going on. It was an experience unlike any other. Uh, I just went there to enjoy a movie and eat my bunch of crunch and drink a soda and just enjoy myself for two hours and six minutes. And instead, every time there was a gun going off or a car chase or something in the movie, my entire row would vibrate and the seats would do this, that, or the other to the point where I actually had to hold on to my beverage for fear that it would fall on the floor. And if your large beverage falls on the floor, brother, you got a problem. So I don't know if I will do the 4XD experience again. I was getting kind of used to it towards the end of the film. But you might want to prepare somebody like me who doesn't really know what that means. Exactly what it means to go to a 4XD screening of a movie. Because when you don't know the row and the seat you're in is about to shake and wibble wobble this way and that way, and the wind's going to blow in your face, and the lights are going to flash in your eyes. I don't know. There's a chance it might scare the hell out of them for the first time it happens. So basically you're saying there's no shot you can sleep through a 4XD movie. No! No, I mean, Denmark. I mean, I, I go to Disney, and I, I ride, like, the filler magic ride where the rows kind of do something similar. This was Mickey's filler magic on steroids, man. I mean, it was an unbelievable experience. I kind of started enjoying it at the end, I suppose. But that first uh, that first time the road's moving, the seats were moving, I uh, might have let out a four-letter word. I didn't know what, what, was, what was going on. But anyway, um, I guess for those of you that know what 4XD is, you know, you probably think I'm an idiot. For those of you that don't know what 4XD is, I probably just did you a favor. I have no idea what you're talking well, about. Well, just so know if you go good. to a 4XD theater, your seat and the entire row will move and shake violently, and there will be some sort of air gun blowing at you, and lights will be going off above you like nobody's business. There you have it. That's my movie critique. That's your Siskel and Ebert uh, portion of tonight's Hacker After Dark program. Mark Wise of the ESPN Family of Networks, previewing March Madness. That's next on Hacker After Dark. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville, we are glad you are with us. You know, so much talk about NFL free agency, what's going on throughout the National Football League. You tend to forget the NCAA tournament is inside of 24 hours. The first game tips off tomorrow at 6.50, of course, you have four games, two tomorrow, two on Wednesday, and then the field of 64 will kick things off Thursday around noon Eastern. With that, let's talk to a man that has forgotten more about the game of college basketball <laughs> than I'll ever know. That's why we go to him here on 1010XL, my friend Mark Wise of the ESPN Family of Networks. Mark, how you doing? Hacker, I'm doing great, man. Let me let me just preface up for, uh, up front that here's what I know you need to do in picking your bracket. And by the way, are you a one bracket guy or a five bracket guy? I think I'm somewhere in the middle. I usually settle on about three brackets. <laughs> okay, well, here's what you need to know. One is you need to pick one of these first four teams to go ahead and win again, to win a couple of games. You need to pick a a 12 over a 5, a 13 over a 4, a 11 over a 6. We know those are going to happen. The problem is 
We just don't know which one is going to happen. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the quandary. There is no question <laughs> about that. Mark, before we dive in, take a brief look at each region. Is this thing as wide open as it appears? I think so. I, I think um, I think there's some question marks about some teams at the top in terms of their health. Uh, Sasser comes to mind at Houston. All the injuries that UCLA is currently dealing with. Kansas with the Bill, Bill Self situation. So um, I, I think that creates some uncertainty at the top that we haven't had in a while. Um, but again, um, if, if you're going to make a deep run in the NCAA tournament, you've got to have NBA talent. You've got to be in the top 40 of Ken Palm's offensive and defensive efficiency. And then you've got to be healthy. I, I've always said those are the three most important things. And then lastly, and we won't know this until – you get into play somewhere along the line. And I don't care if you're Florida's back-to-back -back titles. I don't think, I don't care if it was the one Virginia one uh, in 2019, the basketball gods somewhere along the way have just got a smile on you. It might be a call. It might be a strange basket, a buzzer beater, a foul at the, at the buzzer, something, but the basketball gods have got a smile on you that day. Yeah, people tend to forget even the back-to-back -back Gator teams here that we remember so well. That first year, was it Georgetown? They survived Georgetown. that right. game. And then even – Well, everybody everybody remembers the um, um, Brewer three-point play, which gave Florida the lead. What they don't remember is that Brewer slipped defensively on the following possession, and Georgetown had a wide-open three to retake the lead and missed it. Yeah, you need a little bit of luck to win this thing. There is absolutely no doubt about that. Mark Wise here with us on 1010XL. All right, Mark, let's begin in the South. From what I've gathered over the last oh, 12 to 16 hours since the bracket came out, um, it looks like Alabama's world. Everybody's living in it, but people seem to really like the College of Charleston, oddly enough, as well. What do you think of the South region? Well, I actually do like Charleston to win a couple of games. Um, I, I, I'm not, I don't like the way San Diego State is built. If you're built so much on the defensive end, you're going to have a hard time advancing in this tournament. I do also really like Arizona in this region. As a matter of fact, I have Bama and Arizona coming out, and I have Arizona upsetting Alabama. Uh, but I can, I can easily change that in five minutes. I think both teams are that good. Why is Alabama, Mark, so good? I mean, we know about the Brandon Miller yeah. stuff, and that's starting to calm down a little bit. Um, so there was a little controversy surrounding that whole situation. But I'll, I'll give the kid credit in this sense. He has played phenomenal amidst, uh, yeah, yeah. amidst some unbelievable circumstances surrounding him personally. Is it all Brandon Miller, or is it deeper than that for them? No, it's much deeper, and I'll tell you why. I think several things uh, are true in the NCAA tournament. You need older guards, and even though we talk about Miller and Clowney, uh, Jaden Bradley, uh, Griffin, a lot, they don't rely on those guys to be ball handlers. That's all Mark Sears and Javon Quinterly, who I, I, it seems to me like Quinterly's in his 19th year of college basketball. So they re the ball's always in the older guy's hands, and that's important for Alabama. They've got the length. Uh, they've got team speed. They can defend really well. They're top 20 in both offensive and defensive efficiency. They check a lot of boxes. Quickly on the south, final question before we move on to the east. 
a higher seed that's in the most danger in round one? Would it be San Diego State? Uh, I think Baylor's in trouble, even in the – remember, you got to pick one of these three fourteen games. So I'm going to go with Santa Barbara. Uh, Baylor doesn't defend. They're not healthy. Um, I, I get it. The guard play has been sensational and is sensational. Uh, but they just don't have any defensive presence. If you're looking for one upset, I'm going to go with, with the uh, Gauchos there. Mark Wise of the ESPN family of networks. Mark, let's move to the East. Purdue is the number one seed in the East. But as I look here, I see nobody a is picking Purdue. No one. <laughs> and, and and they looked pretty good in winning the Big Ten tournament. But that center they got is just a beast in there. I watched a lot of that game yesterday against Penn State. But I look, Mark, and Purdue's path could include Memphis in the round of 32, potentially Duke or Tennessee in the Sweet 16. Kentucky's in there. Kansas State's in there. Marquette's in there. That's a tough region, is it not? It is, but remember, you don't have to beat them all. You only have to beat the one in front of you. Um, I think Memphis could give them all kinds of trouble. However, I do have Purdue coming out because you just can't simulate Edie. Um, block to block. Now, the freshman guards at Purdue um, have shown a tendency to cough the ball up, and when they play Memphis, and I have Memphis beating FAU, I think FAU could beat a lot of teams in this bracket, but this is a horrible matchup for them in terms of Memphis and the way they make the game chaotic. And then the bottom half, I'm always looking for teams, and you've heard me say this before, I want teams that are in the top 40 defensive efficiency but I want teams that are better than that offensively. A couple of teams that fit this mode are Purdue and on the bottom end of that bracket, Marquette. And what a job Shaka Smart has done. He's done a great job uh, since coming over from Texas. There's no question about that. Florida Gator fans, you'll take note, Kansas State is in this region as well. So Keontae Johnson goes into the NCAA tournament. Mark, who could Cinderella be in the East region and what high seed is in the most danger in round number one? Well, I know a lot of people are going to pick uh, Louisiana because Tennessee is playing without Zakai Ziegler, but Louisiana's best player, Jordan Brown, is a big guy. And if there's one thing that Tennessee can throw at anybody, it's a plethora of big guys. So I think they match up well. If you're asking me, you know, okay, what's one double digits? I guess you've got to go Providence over Kentucky. Kentucky trying to win. How about this? Trying to win their first NCAA tournament game since 2019. Providence, of course, best player, Bryce Hopkins, transferred from Kentucky. A lot of drama there. Wow, Kentucky has not won a tournament game in, what is that, four years. That is crazy to think about. Mark Wise here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. All right, Mark, to the Midwest we go. That's where Houston is the number one seed, something that really stood out to me last night, a potential Texas-Texas A&M game yeah. in the round of 32. That could be very interesting. What do you think about the I Midwest? Think, yeah, I think that's a great call by you. When I went through the first time and just started playing around with matchups and who did I like on just, just on a first glance, I got stuck at A&M and Texas. A&M uh, the only real seeding issue I had with the committee was Texas A&M. There's no way that Texas A&M should be seated below Kentucky in the overall chart. Um, it, it's a lot closer, and, and immediately when that came out, I, I thought, well, that's not even close. So I started looking at it, 
And yes, it is close. I mean, Kentucky's resume includes supersized wins on the road at Tennessee and Arkansas. Um, Texas A&M has their own share of wins, and Kentucky won the head-to-head. But I think the tiebreaker's got to be, doesn't it, the, the way you played in your league for over a two-month period and your SEC tournament, and there's no question that Texas A&M wins both those. I think the uh, Aggies come up a little short on the uh, um, on the draw, and I also think they'll come up just a little bit short against Texas. I really like this Texas team. I have them going to the Final Four. Wow. All right. The Midwest also includes Auburn, Miami, and the Atlantic Sun champion, Kennesaw. And not that we'll spend a lot of time on them, Mark, but I think this is important for yeah. people to know. Kennesaw State won one game like three years ago. One game. And now they're in yeah. the NCAA tournament. I mean, that's that's crazy. Yeah, and you know I don't like teams uh, that have uh, injury issues and Xavier uh, is playing without the big guy and uh, Fremantle. And so that'll be a challenge for them. But if you're looking for a double-digit um, um, upset winner, perhaps, I'm looking at Kent State in the 4-13 game against Indiana. Just do this. Take a look at Kent State's non-conference schedule. See who did they lose to and by how much did they lose. I think you'll come away really impressed. It's a good story because I did the uh, – MAC championship a year ago where Kent State, after winning the semifinals, and they were favored to go on and win, uh, they had some players make a unfortunate video that went viral. It was vulgar in nature. Players got suspended. Um, no question it was a distraction. Akron won the tournament that night and went on and gave UCLA fits in the first round. So it's kind of a feel-good story in terms of Kent State being back in the tournament, but they are more than capable, I think, not only of beating Indiana, but coming out of that pod. Final moments here with Mark Wise of the ESPN family of networks talking NCAA tournament, which gets underway on Tuesday in Dayton. Of course, the round of 64 begins Thursday at noon Eastern. Finally, Mark, down to the West region. Uh, I see Kansas at the top as the one. I see UCLA at the bottom as a two. You're certainly more trained on this than I am. But, Mark, this was the easiest region for me. Is anybody at the top going to challenge Kansas, and is anybody at the bottom going to challenge UCLA? Well, I mentioned earlier UCLA has got damaged goods. They've got all kinds of injuries that they're dealing with. I don't have either one of those teams coming out in that regional final. Wow. The, team that I, the team that I really like is UConn. They're built the right way. They're top 20 defensive, I mean, top 40 defense, but they're top 10 offense. I love teams that are built this way. They're playing well. They got healthy. They kind of had their midseason uh, slump, if you will. They've, they've gotten over that. So, again, I've got UConn coming all the way out, and I've got them playing TCU, a very underrated team. Mike Miles, this is a team that just makes you play at their speed, their pace, they defend you really well. And when they can make shots, they're really dangerous. We'll hopefully be able to do this again, Mark, once the 68 go down to 16 and yeah. again. Yeah, you'll see You'll see how bad I am. Oh, well, there you go. We'll keep track of you, absolutely. Now, you, uh, this upcoming Wednesday, have Florida and UCF in the NIT. Well, wanna, I want to wrap up there quickly before we get there. I thought what North Carolina did last night was very, very um, – I guess distasteful in basically saying, well, thanks, but no thanks. We're almost too good for the NIT and declining 
that invitation. I, I had a real problem with that last night. And I agree with you. I don't like it at all. Um, and everybody um, always wants to badmouth the NIT. And I'll put it to you this way. There are 68 teams that make the NCAA tournament. There are 32 that make the NIT. That equals 100. There are 265 other teams in Division One basketball. So let me ask you this. Would you rather be one of the 32 in the NIT, or would you rather be one of the 265 that don't go anywhere? Now, uh, in terms of those two tournaments, I get it. Everybody's a little bit different, but – yeah, uh, if you get an invite, I think you should be made to play. Uh, if you've got dissension among your ranks, then figure it out. Play with your play with your next group. Uh, allow your subs to come in and play. Uh, if you've got injury issues, um, you know, again, it, there's just no excuse in my world for not playing in the NIT. It's a reward to the players. I agree. Those kids went to North Carolina to play basketball not to have some statement released on their behalf saying thanks but no thanks, we're yeah. focusing on next year. I thought that was a bad look by the Tar Heels. Having said that, two teams that are in the NIT, you'll have the yeah. call Wednesday night, UCF and Florida. That should be a good one there in Gainesville. Yeah, a game that should have a lot of juice uh, because of the in-state um, rivalry, I guess you would put it. Um, I, they haven't met since, uh, I think I read since 2012 today. Um, so that should be good. I'm anxious to see uh, Taylor Hendricks in person for the first time. I've been watching him on video all day today. Uh, it's a Florida team that's had to basically remake themselves. And without Castleton, uh, I think the harder part is uh, remaking yourself defensively because of all the important parts of the defense that they funneled toward him, not only with his ability to block shots, but his ability to deflect passes. You know, when he went out, he represented 57% of the team's blocks. This is not a very big Florida team at all. So take him out of the equation. You get smaller. They were not a very good rebounding team with him. So you take him out of the equation. They, they are struggling. So they're going to have to shoot a lot of threes, make a lot of threes. Um, I know UCF is built the same way. UCF uh, also prides itself on defending the art. Um, so I, I'm anxious to see the, you know, Riley Kugel, Taylor Hendricks matchup. They won't really guard each other, but that kind of matchup. Anytime you can see outstanding freshmen, and who knew at the beginning of the year that Taylor Hendricks was going to be a one and done. So I, I see him on everybody's, uh, you know, somewhere between 20, 10 and 20 on most draft boards, so I'm assuming he's gone. So uh, it should be a lot of fun. I hope people show up and come out. Yeah, with Florida already losing to Florida Atlantic earlier in the year, you don't want to lose another home game to UCF. That will be interesting. So it's probably a pretty big game there for the Gators. Mark, 60 seconds for people listening tonight. If there's one game in the first round of the NCAA tournament that they have to watch on Thursday or Friday, what is it? What is the best first-round game out there? Well, I'll, I, Kent State and Indiana, I think, come to mind. And I think um, I love the Memphis FAU matchup. Those are two that I'm going to give you that I think will be outstanding games. You can check out Mark Wise this Wednesday night on the call of Florida and UCF in the NIT. And he's our guy when it comes to college hoops 
here on 1010XL. Mark, I know you're busy. Appreciate the time, my friend. Let's hopefully do it again prior to the Sweet 16 next week. Thanks, Hacker. Enjoy the madness. And thank you to my friend Mark Wise of the ESPN family of networks for joining us tonight here on Hacker After Dark as the field of 68 officially gets underway tomorrow night. Hard to believe the first two games in Dayton. You'll have two more games in Dayton on Wednesday and then the field of 64. We'll get underway Thursday right around noon Eastern, and we'll go from 68 teams tonight to 16 teams by Sunday night. It's going to go quick uh, with the madness of March. And again, no Florida and no Florida State. So it'll be a little bit different in these parts than it has been certainly in years past. Well, that'll just about wrap it up for what has been a very busy Monday night edition of Hacker After Dark here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Again, thank you to Mark Wise of the ESPN family of networks. He'll be on the call Wednesday night for the NIT game between UCF and Florida. Thank you to John Shipley of Jaguar Report for joining us tonight to talk about the departure of Jawan Taylor and everything else surrounding the Jacksonville Jaguars. And thank you to Mark Long of the Associated Press who joined us in our number one, again, talking Calvin Ridley, Evan Ingram, Jawan Taylor to Kansas City, and also a little Anthony Richardson. Always enjoy Mark Long taking time out to join us here on Hacker After Dark. We'll be back tomorrow night. Are you kidding me? Our late night show. Where else would you rather be on a Tuesday from 10 to midnight than right here with Dylan Denmark and yours truly? And we certainly hope that you join us then. Dylan Denmark was your producer tonight. Dylan, great job as always. I'm the hacker Ryan Green and Jacksonville. Thank you for spending part of your Monday evening with us right here on Hacker After Dark on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Monday evening and we will talk to you tomorrow night on a Tuesday beginning at 10 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville.